you have a Bible, open it up to Matthew 3. You're going to get a little bit of a headway to get there. A little bit of a headway. Uh, we are continuing a series in the Bible. Uh, we teach out of the Bible every single week. Uh, this series that we've been going in is taking the story of God from creation all the way through to new creation. Uh, from page one of your Bible all the way through to the end. And we've been weaving stories together to show what God is up to in the world since the very beginning. Uh, we believe that the Bible tells one unfolding story and that we find our role in that story. Uh, the reason that we preach or teach or come up here every single week and, and a man or a woman comes together and says, hey, this is what God's word says, is because we wanna do three things for you and each of these matter. The first thing is we wanna expose you to the good news of the gospel. Uh, like the, the good news of Jesus matters and we want to make sure that's on the forefront of your mind because we have lots of messages that come with us throughout the week and we wanna make sure that one's up in the front. Uh, the second thing we wanna do is encourage our church family. Uh, there is a lot that happens in a jacked up world throughout the week that threatens to suck the hope out of our lungs, right? And so we wanna be people who regularly come back to the good news of Jesus, that we get to look at each other's eyes and remember that uh, God has not just given us the gospel, he's not just given us the spirit, but he's given us one another. And so we together talk around these things of God. And then the third thing we wanna do is, I, I really hope that every time we gather, it excites your kingdom imagination. That somewhere along in the teaching, the spirit sparks something up that excites you to be like, oh, I wonder what if. Like if the good news took up root in this person's life, what could happen and how can I water that? Or if God's kingdom came more fully in my neighborhood or in my city or in the place where I work, what could happen if this friend, this friend, and this friend all came together, submitted to Jesus, and we saw the kingdom break through in that place? Or what would it look like if this area of injustice started to see justice take place? And, and we do pray that the God's spirit stirs up these sparks that ignite this kingdom imagination for us. And so it doesn't have to be the full 30 minutes I talk that you're in that constant flow state, uh, but I do hope that somewhere along the way that takes place as we spend time in God's word. So uh, tonight I wanna start with a story and I was trying really hard to figure out how to plug this story into the message because it's so crazy and I couldn't figure it out. And then I realized, oh, I have a perfect segue. So in preaching, they teach you, don't start with a story and then try fitting it onto your sermon. I'm totally doing that tonight. So uh, those of you that wanna critique me for that, go right ahead, I don't care. Um, but Christianity is primarily about events that have taken place. It's about events that have taken place. The gospel is good news of events that have taken place. It's not primarily about how you feel about those events, uh, whether or not you like those events, but what are you gonna do with them now that they've occurred? So the other day I walked out of my house as I do most mornings. Um, and so I walked out and the sunlight was hitting the back of my truck. So I drive a red Ram, it's right out there. You're all gonna look at this on your way out. Um, and so I drive a red Ram, I looked out and the sun was hitting it in a way. And I was looking at it, I was like, man, what's on the back of my truck? It looks like there's like two tones on the back of my truck and it's not two tone paint job that I knew of. Um, and so I went to the back and I realized uh, that it was in fact two-tone. Somebody had painted the back of my truck. 
I kid you not. Some of you live in neighborhoods where uh, you can't leave your keys in your car, otherwise it gets jacked. Other of you live in a neighborhood where you can leave your keys in the ignition and somebody will write you a nice note and say, hey, you left your keys, please don't do that. I apparently live in a neighborhood where if you have scratches on the back of your truck, somebody will try to repair them for you. I kid you not, I went outside and all the scratches along the back of my red Ram truck were painted in slightly not red paint. And so I called my kids first of all and made sure it wasn't them before I totally embarrassed them. If it's one of you, you had plenty of time to confess on this one. Uh, But somebody went along the back and painted over all the tiny scratches on the back of my truck uh, and they're a different color. So now it shines two tones. Uh, That's goofy, right? Who does that? And I asked so many people. I texted Jay. I was like, Jay had borrowed my truck. I was like, did you paint my truck? And he's like, no, who would do that? And I was like, well, I was thinking maybe it was you, Um, but it wasn't. So it didn't matter, uh, first of all, that I didn't want that to take place. It didn't matter that they did a junky job at it. It didn't matter that if I had my preference of the world to live in, somebody would not have painted the back of my truck. What I get to do now is live in light of the fact that this has happened and try to make sense of life afterwards. Uh, It was absolutely mind-blowing, and I've processed this time and time again. Who paints a truck? Like, I went back, did I forget to do this? And I did not forget I did this. So as you guys go out, you can look at the truck on the way out and check out the lovely uh, paint job. If it was one of your paint job, we can talk later. So, but we realize things take place. They have events, they have repercussions. They have events that come in light of that. And I literally could not believe this had taken place. Uh, I had to reform categories for a world in which somebody paints someone else's truck that was not asked to. When we get to Matthew chapter three, John is gonna have his categories changed a little bit. Uh, John the baptizer, Jesus' cousin, was out in the woods. He was a bit of a wild man. Uh, He was out by the Jordan River and he was baptizing people. He was passionately proclaiming that the kingdom of God was coming near and he wanted to prepare God's people for the day when God's Messiah came back to set up his kingdom in our midst. And he was announcing that news. He wore a gnarly like leather belt, wore camel clothes, like dunked his locusts in honey and slugged him down. Like just a straight up wild man who would look at Roman soldiers and tell them that they were jacked up. He'd look at the religious leaders and say, you guys are way too religious and yet you don't have your heart right with God. He didn't care who you are. He was gonna tell you, this is the way it is. And so we come to the story in Matthew chapter three. And if you have your Bibles open, we're gonna drop in there. Matthew chapter three, last week we saw that Jesus had been born. This is like a time warp. We're now at the place where he's about 30 years old. And Matthew 3.13 reads this way. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? He says, whoa, 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 real quick. If you're the Messiah, uh, then you should be doing something for me. I don't do something to you. I had my message. I announced what is good news. Like I've been calling people to repent. I've been telling them to turn back to the ways of God as the people of God, to come back to being a people of blessing as they were called to be. Why in the world would I baptize you? It should be the other way around. I don't have a category for this Jesus, but... Like all good people, when Jesus says to do it, he changes his mind, right? Uh, Jesus replied, let it be so now, verse 15. It is the proper time for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. 
And as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Uh, this little snapshot story has a whole lot to do with us and how we live today. It might seem a little bit removed some 2,000 years ago, but what happens with Jesus in this moment is an invitation to a new way of life for us in 2021. Let me pray for us one more time. And then I wanna show us what Jesus was baptized into. Because I think for some of us, we have this understanding that there's only one, baptism was one thing, right? Why would Jesus get baptized? Don't we get baptized to, to picture ourselves going under the water like we die to our sin and resurrected in newness of life? Uh, Jesus didn't need to die to sin. Why in the world would he get baptized? Uh, the picture is so much more beautiful and it's so much more impactful for us today. And so that's what we're gonna unpack for the next few minutes. Uh, would you guys just pray with, me with your hands open? Oh God, we come to you, some of us clinging to things and some of us grasping for others. But we're here today to hear from you. Would you speak clearly? Your servants are listening. We ask this in your name, Jesus, again, and by the power of your spirit, amen. Amen. If you're taking notes, kids, these are the things that are on the fill in the blank list that you did not guess, I promise you. Uh, the first thing that we're gonna look at just four things Jesus was baptized into. The imagery of baptism, if you're not familiar with it, is the imagery of being plunged underwater. Uh, today, we plunge people underwater, pour water over their head. The key ingredients are people and water, and they symbolize something very, very powerful. Uh, the first thing that he was baptized into was he was baptized into an identity. Uh, that Jesus' being comes in this story before he is doing is absolutely essential in how we understand the way God works. If you're following Matthew, the last time you saw him, he was a, uh, Jesus was a baby with a price on his head who had left as a refugee. The next snapshot we see of Jesus is he's coming in to be baptized as the Messiah. God's announcement and pronouncement over his life. He goes into the water, right? He's baptized by John into the water. As he comes up, there's this beautiful scene where the, where the heavens split. So it's like the realm where God dwells. Don't think like this place far away in the sky gets like teleported down, but the realm where God dwells split open and they're able to see in. And down descends this spirit of God like a dove. And the voice of the father echoes back words that have been used of Israel, words that have been used in Psalm 2 to say, you are my son. In you, I am well pleased or who I love. There's a beautiful beautiful affirmation of the Father on the life of Jesus. Uh, if you're tracking along in the text, this is before he does any of his really cool ministry stuff. Like the, the works of Jesus follow this affirmation of the identity of Jesus. You are my son, you are my child, and you I am well pleased. And this order matters because when we get this mixed up, we stop trying uh, we stop trying to just live out of the fullness of what God has called us into, and we start trying to earn our identities. Um, Henry Nowen has this list, and so I think you can put it up there, Josh, or skip to it. I don't know if you guys can see that. Originally, it was on a different background, but such is the way of technology. Uh, Henry Nowen gives these five lies of identity 
that very, very often are things that we can succumb to when we don't believe that God the Father has affirmed us and called us into his family and already named us as a dearly beloved child, we can often turn to other things to get our identity. And this is just as true as if you're 65, if you're 16, and if you're six. It just varies in how it plays out. Uh, The first way, uh, I am what I have. I am what I have. I'll let you guys answer, just maybe one person throw your hand up. How do you see this play out in culture? That, that people believe the lie, I am what I have. Where do you see this? You can actually answer this, it's pretty cool. I am what I have. Money buys happiness. Uh, There is a multi-billion dollar advertising campaign that's meant to make you believe I am what I have. And the more I have, the more I am. A second lie, I am what I do. And we watch this play out as people rely on their vocations, their jobs or their performance in athletics and sports and theater or whatever it is to say, my value is locked up in the things that I do, which works when I'm succeeding and plummets when I don't make it to the level I thought I could. I am what I do. A third lie, I am what other people say or think of me. I am what other people say or think of me. This is just as devastating for the 45-year-old as it is for the 14-year-old. What are people saying about me? What is it the feedback that I get about my life? And that wraps up in my complete identity. And again, it rises when people think well of me and crumbles when people talk behind my back. Uh, Number four, I am nothing more than my worst moment. Uh, So maybe you get this stuck in your head and you have a moment where you failed miserably and you can look back on your life and everything goes through that filter. I am nothing more than my worst moment. The worst thing I've done defines everything about my life, right? We we forget that it's Jesus and his grace that defines us and it becomes the worst thing I've done. Uh, The flip side of that is I am nothing less than my greatest success. And so I don't know if you guys have these friends, when you guys do high school reunions, they'll happen. Thankfully, my 20 year fell in COVID, so we didn't do it, which is such a bummer. As class president, I was supposed to throw that thing and I could just be like, COVID guys, sorry. Um, But when you go to your class reunions, uh, there will inevitably be that man or that woman uh, who's still locked in. And the moment they most identify was during junior year when they threw that touchdown or scored that basket, right? Like it will happen. You'll be like, whoa, we still cling to those things? Absolutely, the last 21 years of their life have been marked by, remember that time I put the ball through the basket and it was amazing. I'm nothing less than my greatest moment. And each of these things are subtle ways that we don't look to God and his affirmation of who we are. We don't live out of our identity that's been given, but instead try to grasp it somewhere else. Uh, We did a conversation starter a little bit earlier that was around food and that one was easy to answer. I wanna give us a few minutes and uh, I wanna ask, is there one of these that stands out to you? We are like, man, I can really see that I might tend to struggle with this one in my life. Now, I know that can seem really vulnerable. It's like, whoa, hold on a second, bro. I'm just here to listen. Um, Here's the deal. All of us struggle with all five of these. So you can just throw your hand up and name one and it's completely okay. But maybe uh, as you look across your life, You've seen one or two. You don't have to give the full snapshot. But what this does is it allows us to take these things from being ideas that float around and be like, oh, I can see where I need grace because of this area in my life. So I'm gonna give us a few minutes. If uh, one of these pops out to you, I am 
what I have, I am what I do, I am what other people think or say of me. I am nothing more than my worst moment. I am nothing less than my best moment. I want to give us a few minutes. Which one, if there is one, do you tend to struggle with? I'll give us just maybe three, four minutes to answer that question. Turn to a few people around you, and then I'll pull us back for some more good news. The good news of Jesus is that he gives us a new identity, that what is true of Jesus, when God says things that are true of Jesus in this moment, they're also true of us because we are in Christ. And so while this statement was made to Jesus, actually, right, some 2020, probably five years ago, the guy who did the math messed it up by four years, um, 2025 years ago, this is probably what took place that when we're in Christ, these words are also spoken over us, that the God's favor rests on us as his family, that there is grace, that there is joy, that there is affirmation, that we are God's beloved children if we are in Christ before we ever do anything. Uh, Jesus is about to, if you tracked in the book, he's about to go into the wilderness and do the 40 days in the wilderness where he lives out Israel's history. They spent 40 years in the wilderness. He spends 40 days in the wilderness. And then he's tempted by the enemy. And then you're like, oh man, I remember this part of the story when the enemy comes along and he tempts somebody and they blow the whole thing and he doesn't do that. And you look at it and you're like, man, like this guy might be the one who actually will make things right. Uh, three other things I want us to see that Jesus is baptized into. The next thing is a story. He gets a new identity, but then he's baptized into a story. And the symbols that are on your screen are the symbols that we use to tell the story of the Bible. And as a story unpacked, it's uh, something you can see just the different layers that he's building in that Jesus is in fact God's answer to the problem of rebellion and sin and destruction in this world. The theme of going through water and coming out on the other side rescued into God's new future as God's new people is something that was there in creation when God stirred over the waters and brought life out of that. It was there in the Red Sea when God's people came through the Red Sea and emerged on the other side, a new people formed by God at Sinai and then commissioned out to live as God's covenant people. It was there when God's people came to the Jordan, this very same river, and stood on the one side of it, if you remember that teaching, wondering how in the world are we gonna get across as a flood stage? And God pushed back the waters of the Jordan, that very same river that Jesus is standing in, in a miraculous way of provision for God's people to step forward into God's future. All of those things stack up like a layer cake and you just get a delicious bite in this moment. They all stack up to show you that this is the story that gave Jesus his identity, right? And that very same story, the first arrow represents creation, that God created everything good, right, and beautiful. The X shows that there's a rebellion, Genesis 3 through 11 in your Bible, that everything went wrong when human beings rebelled. The next forward arrow is from Genesis 12 all the way through to Malachi 4, where God makes a promise that he will make things right. And that's the unfolding story of Israel. And then the cross represents Jesus's life, death and resurrection. The part of the story we're at now, where God just affirmed, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The next act of the story is the story that we find ourselves in, the church 
the next forward arrow where we take up the role to announce and embody good news, Jesus actually reigns until the final down arrow where God comes back to make all things new. Jesus's baptism is a baptism into this very story. And you don't understand this moment unless you're able to see it in the larger picture. The third thing he's baptized into, a new identity, a story, and a community. Uh, The work that John was doing out there in the wilderness was to call together a people who would be faithful until the day that God returned. So the reason that Jesus enters into that water isn't to say, hey, hey, everybody, I screwed up. I got it wrong. I need to be baptized for my sins. It was to say, I identify with the people of God who wanna be faithful until God's kingdom is set up. And now they're about to find out in just a few days, that's actually right now. But he's saying, I wanna be part of God's covenant people who are faithful until the day that he returns. And that's what it meant when they went down into the water, a part of that community. In America, uh, we tend to use the word I a lot more than the word we. I was listening to a podcast this week and it was somebody from a different part of the world. And they were talking about, um, in a very restrictive sense, that they never even knew that there was a word for I in their language. It was only ever we. And when you heard her in the interview, uh, she'd be talking about somebody else's experience very clearly, but she would always use the word we, we, we. It was an inclusive word that marked out, like this is the experience that we have because we are a collective interdependent group of people. In America, it's so much different than that. We, we have a hard time seeing any sort of baptism into a community. But in the Bible, the picture was always, yes, individuals go into the water, but they're a part of a community when they come out, a part of this new family approved by God. And then the last thing, an identity, a story, a community, and a purpose. A purpose. God launches something brand new when Jesus comes out of the water that is going to spend the next three years developing and unfolding. Uh, That human beings have a role to play in God's story. Uh, He's going to announce good news. The kingdom of God is here. He's going to demonstrate what that looks like as he walks throughout the world. He's gonna be murdered by the religious and the Romans for claiming that God's kingdom was here, but then he's gonna resurrect again and say, hey, good news. Now I'm sending more messengers out who are empowered with this spirit of God to announce the message of God wherever they go. And that's the act of the church. That's what we get to do. But Jesus comes up out of this water with a work to do, but he's given a new identity, a story to live it out of. The presence of God going with him, right? The spirit has come down. And then he gets to work doing the things that God has called him to do. Within the story of God, baptism, being immersed in the water and coming out of that with work to do as part of a community is always together. When we say yes to Jesus, we also say yes to his mission. All throughout the Bible, those things are intrinsically connected. All right, so that's a a lot. Why does that matter to us? Uh, Oh, what does that mean for us today? One of the most beautiful pictures of what it looks like to come to faith in the Bible is an alarm clock. Actually, do you guys remember, uh, maybe some of you traveled back then when you used to do wake-up calls at hotels? Like this was like somebody's job. So this was somebody's job, guys. Uh, Somebody in the hotel would actually, because adults didn't know how to program alarm clocks apparently, right? 
because they had an alarm clock there and nobody had it on their phone. And so you'd call down to the front desk and you'd have them set up to wake you up at an appointed time, right? Like 5.30, 4.30, 7.30, by the time you're supposed to check out, I have no idea. Like, but somebody's job was literally, they were paid a salary, right? To call other grown adults and tell them it's time to wake up. Isn't that amazing to think about? Like what we do now with a phone, that was somebody's job. Hey, will you call me at 6.30 and tell me to wake up? Uh, we have some toddlers in our house right now. And so we've incorporated a new thing. One of those wake up alarm clocks that changed color, right? And the principle is still the same thing, only these are toddlers. So we'd assume they'd need these sort of things is that when it turns a certain time, seven o'clock in our house, the little glow ring around the clock turns green. And so all the little kids that are in the room patiently waiting for the moment that that turns green, which some kind of voodoo, it actually works. Um, yeah, none of them are in here, good. Some voodoo, it actually works where it turns green and then they're like, oh, now I can get up. Now it is time to wake up. Now it is time in light of this little light that is now on my clock. I now know it's a new day. I can join with my family and go about the day. From early on in Christian communities, waking up was an imagery of what it looked like to come to faith, to open your eyes and realize that a new day had dawned in God's world because of Jesus. And there's some people that wake up, and I'm sure some of them are here, majestic creatures who wake up, hear an alarm clock, wake up ready to roll, and it's game on from the first time they hear something in the morning. And then the rest of the world hears an alarm, hits snooze, gets groggy for a little while, and has to gradually wake up. Uh, the same thing's true as people come to faith. Some people like Paul, right? He heard the news of Jesus on the road to Damascus, uh, was blinded and then came back and said, all right, like, here we go. It's time to go. Uh, other people like Peter, it took years of it unfolding. Wait, I'm following this Jesus, but what does that mean? I'm following Jesus, but I don't get this. This baptism of Jesus, this realization that the kingdom of God is actually here today that freedom, forgiveness, healing, and hope all came with the person and work of Jesus is a call for us to wake up, to believe that good news, that if that's not something that you've done, that's not something you've believed, that the good news is that it is very possible and because of Jesus, it is for you as well. Good news, the kingdom of God is actually here. This is where our word belief can be inadequate or even misleading. What the early Christians meant by belief included both believing that God had done certain things and believing in the God who had done them. Uh, this wasn't just a general belief in the idea that God exists, though that clearly is involved, but it was loving, grateful trust as a response to God's work in the world. The, the idea that God had done certain things, and yes, God was a God who was present, is behind that. But loving, grateful trust is probably a better representation of what belief is, not just a lofty idea that stands above time somewhere, but real things, concrete things that make a difference when we drive out of this place. A second thing I, I want us to just remember why this matters to us and this speaks to you if you're baptized. Um, if you're not, if you're a follower of Jesus and you're like, yo, I've never been baptized. Can I hear more about that? Um, we would love to talk more about that. That's something that we do as followers of Jesus when we're able to determine, all right, so what is it that I actually believe? What is this story I'm a part of? 
Um, this isn't something that only pastors do, but we believe those who are discipling people are able to baptize those that they're discipling. I try not to do it in the same age when kids still believe in Santa Claus because let's just, you can tell them anything um, and they'll believe it. But when they grow up and they're able to say, hey, what is it that God is doing in this world? What is it that I'm, a, what's my role to play in that? I can step in with faith and obedience and trust of this God as a young child would, not the same way as a 65-year-old does who has a lot more thoughts, but in grateful trust, giving my life to this God Absolutely, we would love to walk into the waters of baptism. Or when grown adults say, man, I wanna transfer my trust from believing in myself and my own ability or the fact that I have to earn my identity to something that God does for me. And I see the beauty of that in the gospel story. And I wanna put my trust in God and what he's doing in this redemption project. We love to see people brought into the family that way. But if you have been baptized, I wanna invite you to remember to live out of your baptismal identity. Uh, hear this, fam. You, if you've been baptized, you are baptized into the person of Jesus and the story that he is the hero of. I want you to know the story that is about Jesus, but Jesus also makes himself known to you. And at the core of who you are, because of Jesus, you are deeply loved. You don't have to earn your place at the table of God. Jesus has done that for you. Uh, you don't have to grasp for an identity that's beyond you. Again, you are in Christ. Jesus has done that for you. You're in Christ. You're also baptized into God's story. Uh, the same way as Jesus, the continuation. Uh, Luke, the first book that we talked about last week, Luke is the first story of Jesus. It says, that's how it starts off. Acts is the story of the church. And it starts off with all that Jesus began to do. The church now continues to live out we are a part of that story. And we're also baptized the same way Jesus was into the purposes of God or the mission of God. There is a work for us to do as we follow Jesus together. And this is an ongoing thing that we regularly need to remind ourselves of, that this is who we are. This shapes our being. This shapes our communities. It shapes our families. It shapes our jobs and the way we engage with friends and family members. This identity is our primary identity, one given to us by the Father. And then the last invitation is one to come to the table to remember these good news events that have taken place. And so David's gonna come up and lead us in one more song. And we'll have the elements today. It's juice in the cups and, and bread next to it. And the invitation is, if you're a follower of Jesus, I wanna invite you to come to the table to remember the events of the gospel. Uh, Daniel will be holding the bread. And so you can take a piece of that. I'll be holding the juice and you can receive that as well. Go back to your seat and receive communion whenever you want to, whatever you're ready to. But the imagery, the beautiful story that this tells is that Jesus didn't just live, he didn't just die, but he rose again offering new life and freedom and community and hope for all who would believe. And that's what we step into every time that we take this meal. Would you guys pray with me? Jesus, would you help us to again reframe our life in light of what's true, what's reality? not the propped up pageantry of religion that can so easily want to grab our hearts. 
but the real events of a real savior who truly rescues us, who transforms us into his children and gives us a seat at his table. God, as we come to this table, remind us again of what is true of us because of Jesus and stir up our affection, stir up our love, stir up our imagination again for what it looks like when your kingdom breaks in to the darkness. We love you, Jesus. We're glad you meet with us. Ask us in your name and by the power of your spirit. Amen. Amen. Missio Mesa, you're welcome to the table. We end with a final good word. And so I want to invite you, uh, Missio, to put your hands out to receive this benediction. Having been reminded of the hope that we have in Jesus and the Father's desire for our flourishing, may your heart be filled with courage and your hands empowered for the task that we have to do this week. Remember with joy that we have been blessed to be a blessing to others. God's very spirit is with us, his resurrection power in us, and his love is moving through us. Uh, receive these words as a final good word spoken over you. Our hope for new creation is not tied to what humans can do, for we believe that one day every challenge to God's rule will be crushed. His kingdom will fully come, and the Lord will rule as king. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Go now in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.